Hi, everybody. Welcome to The X Factor. My name is Dr. Stephen Long, and this is the podcast for leaders by leaders. Today, I'm here with uh, Max DeZara of uh, Akoya Capital in Chicago. Good morning, Max. How are you today? Good. I'm fine, Steve. Thank you. Well, thanks so much for, uh, for, for agreeing to come on. Uh, why don't you just tell everybody uh, who you are and what you do? Okay, happy to. It's a pleasure to be here. So thanks. Uh, first off, thanks for that. Um, just by way of background, Akoya Capital is a, a private investment firm headquartered in Chicago. Uh, we we focus on the lower end of the middle market, investing in operating companies in the lower end of the middle market. And uh, I'll just take a, a couple of minutes and provide a little background on a little uh, overview of my background, because I think it'll help provide some context in terms of how we got to where we are. Sure. Um, I, I, I've actually uh, come to the whole private equity world through a, a fairly untraditional career path. Um, I started off, I started my career originally in a family business. I was uh, fortunate enough to have been exposed to a, a family business growing up. My, uh, my father, uh, my dad, you know, uh, uh, was able to pursue the American dream. He, you know, immigrated here from Europe, um, came here with literally a suitcase full of clothes, a few hundred dollars, tremendous amount of hope, aspiration, and an extraordinary entrepreneurial spirit. And um, shortly after he immigrated to the States, he started a little business out of our apartment. And over time, that little business became a pretty significant business. And I was really fortunate to have been exposed to that uh, growing up. So uh, my life was sort of predestined. I was going to grow up and go into the family business. Um, I'm the eldest of two, two younger siblings. So uh, fast forward, I grew up. I went into the family business full time. I spent a couple years in our family business and, and really decided early on, Steve, that I wanted to do something outside of our family business. I wanted to pursue a career uh, independent of our family business. And I think for me, it was you know, uh, largely predicated on, on the fact that I, I had such a tremendous amount of respect and admiration for what my father had accomplished. I think there was something inside me driving me to prove to myself and maybe on some level prove to my father that I could be successful independent of, of the family business. So I, uh, I left in my early 20s. I uh, wound up going to work for a, a very uh, high-quality executive search firm in Chicago, and I really enjoyed the work and decided that I wanted to spend the first half of my career in the human capital and talent, talent acquisition, talent assessment field. So um, at the age of 25, I started an executive recruiting firm in Chicago, and with the you know, extraordinary help of some very, very talented people that um, was able to attract and develop and retain over time. We, we built that search firm to one of the largest retained search firms in the country. And then um, uh, 15 years after I started the company, we were approached by a large strategic acquirer. They were uh, traded on the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, their, their chairman had raised um, well in excess of $100 million of equity capital. And his objective was to aggregate the executive search and staffing industry. So they, uh, they acquired our company in 1998. And as a result of the merger, and, um, it, it literally created what at the time was one of the top 10 retained executive search firms in the world. So we had offices in New York, Chicago, London, Hong Kong, Tokyo, and, and Singapore. And it was a great opportunity, Steve, for myself and, and my partners to monetize the equity value that we had created in our business and a, a chance to go from a, a regional and national platform to a global platform 
and frankly work with people that I, I had a tremendous amount of respect for. So my, my last 10 years in executive search uh, was uh, really focused on serving the private equity practice. So shortly after the merger, I was um, appointed to lead our global private equity practice. And essentially what that, what that meant was that the clients that, uh, that we served were, were operating companies that were owned by large PE firms around the globe. And so we were really the last 10 years of my career was really centered around recruiting board directors and CEOs and C-level operating executives across a variety of different um, private equity owned portfolio companies. And that experience just provided a tremendous perspective on the PE landscape, but really from an outside looking in point of view. And I was really drawn to the handful of PE firms that placed a disproportionate amount of value on executing a leader-led strategy whereby they would, um, you know, they would, you know, have very, very significant operating executives on the team, pairing them up with their transaction team or their deal team. So, you know, really the strategy was to uh, work with operating executives that had deep domain expertise in the sectors in which they were investing and leveraging their domain expertise as a way to unlock uh, incremental value. <clears throat> so I, I was able to see firsthand the impact that strategy had in terms of shareholder value creation. But as I bifurcated the market, what became pretty apparent is that the firms that really uh, leveraged that strategy and successfully implemented that strategy were typically PE firms with well over a billion of AUM. So these were really large PE firms. Um, and as you start to work your way to the middle market and then the lower end of the middle market within the private equity community, that strategy was virtually non-existent. So I, I saw an opportunity to really create, uh, you know, a, a differentiated private private investment firm, you know, leveraging a leader-led strategy, leveraging an operationally focused strategy, and really bringing that down to the lower end of the middle market. <laughs> so I left, uh, I left it on very good terms at the end of 2004 and uh, re frankly reinvested a significant amount of the proceeds I, I earned by selling my search firm and kind of you know, uh, you know, reinvested the, those proceeds into building what today is Sequoia Capital. And I'm um, proud to say that we, you know, we sort of have a, you know, accomplished a lot of our objectives. So today we're a, we're a, a sector-focused uh, private investment firm. There are really three primary sectors that we invest in. Each one of them is led by an industry icon. So you know, our partners are, are individuals with you know, decades of extraordinarily deep, relevant operating experience in the industries in which we invest in. And then they're supported, supported by a five-person transaction team. So you know, the transaction team are also the classically trained private equity professionals. But the model is really the inverse of what you would find at most traditional private equity firms. And by that, I mean the decisions about what we invest in, whom we invest in, how we think about developing a value creation plan and executing that value creation plan is, is, is really led by individuals that have decades of operating experience in that industry sector, supported by a, 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 a transaction team, as opposed to the other way around that you might find in more of a traditional private equity, private equity fund. I'd say one other primary distinction, Steve, is that we've made a strategic decision not to raise a captive pool of capital. So in many respects, you know, our group consists of 
several high net worth individuals. We've all been you know, very fortunate throughout our careers. So we invest a meaningful amount of our own personal capital in each and every investment opportunity. And then we have relationships with several ultra high net worth family offices that we will bring into on a deal by deal basis. So we set up a, an SPV, a special purpose vehicle for each investment, and then we raise capital uh, on a deal by deal basis as opposed to aggregating a bunch of capital and then looking to deploy it. I see. So you, yeah, you, so you've really inverted the model where human capital is driving the investment uh, more so than the, uh, you know, the financial analytics, if you will. That's true. Yeah, most PE firms, you know, will look at generating returns through financial leverage and financial engineering. We really look at generating returns through sort of transforming the businesses and taking them to to an entirely different level. And that's, again, that's, you know, predicated on having partners who have decades of very deep relevant experience, you know, having been there and done it before and bringing that insight and wisdom and expertise to the, to, to, to the investment strategy. Yeah, there's a uh, there's uh, there's there's an old saying in uh, football coaching, is that um, yeah, it's 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 not so much about the X's and the O's, it's really about the Johnnies and the Joes. So yeah, yeah, you, you know, there, you, you can be as uh, creative and uh, tactically correct as you want when you're on the chalkboard, but you got to remember who's you know that that there's actually a person behind each one of those X's and O's. Well said. Yeah. So, all right. So tell me what, uh, what is the best aspect of being a leader? Well, uh, you know, I think there's a, a distinction between, you know, being a leader and being a manager, you know, managing people versus leading people. And my view is, you know, management's about persuading people to do the things that they don't really want to do while leadership is about inspiring people to do the things they never thought they could do. So I think there's a, a pretty big distinction there. And mm -hmm. one of the things, you know, one of the best attributes of being a leader is, is the opportunity to develop and mentor um, and inspire uh, other individuals to, to achieve their full potential, right? So um, I think that's a really important element of, of leadership. Um, I'd say one of the other aspects is which I find extremely fulfilling relative to what we did at Akoya and, and other endeavors in my life is, you know, having a strategy, having a vision, sort of seeing what's possible and then putting together a plan to achieve that goal and assembling the team to achieve that goal and then actually executing and, 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 and having that vision be realized. So, you know, going from, if you will, the whiteboard or the, the thesis all the way through imp implementation of a, of a concept or an idea. Okay. So what, what are, you know, what have you found to be, you know, some of the, you know, primary components of, of helping leaders maximize their potential? Um, you know, I, I, I think it, just my own personal experience, what's been immensely helpful for me is the opportunity that I've been, I've been very fortunate, frankly, throughout my career. So I think luck plays a small, an element of, a small mm -hmm. element here. Um, I've been exposed to some extraordinarily extraordinary people, extraordinarily accomplished people, um, and I, 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 it's almost been like a human laboratory. If you think about it, I spent 25 years in the executive search industry. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I've, I literally interviewed thousands of candidates. I placed hundreds of C-level executives, and so you know, the opportunity <laughs> um, to see how 
you know, individuals have progressed in their career to understand the attributes, you know, that make somebody successful in their career. And I've been able to emulate those and learn a lot through those experiences. So I've been very, very fortunate that I've been exposed to some incredibly bright, talented, and frankly, not, some not so bright and talented individuals, right? So, you know, I always sort of amazed when I was back in the search stage, you know, you'd look at, you'd look at a candidate that, you know, had all the, you know, I, uh, prep school, Ivy League education, you know, coming out of HBS or coming out of one of the top B schools, mm -hmm. uh, you know, graduating the same year that a guy coming out of a state university, right? But then you, you, you fast forward 20 years in their career and the executive that, you know, has the undergrad from a state university is running a multi-billion dollar company and the individual, you know, with the MBA from an Ivy League school is kind of just stuck in you know, middle management, upper, upper middle management, and understanding the attributes and what really led to the success. So I, I've been very fortunate in that I've, uh, I've had those experiences and exposures to a lot of different people. Yeah, that's, that's some great insight because it's those, uh, those characteristics that do not come across on paper that really define a person. Uh, and, and it's great when you can, you know, put the, uh, you know, put those qualifications together with those intangible characteristics. But in the end, it's still about, you know, performance and execution. Right. So, uh, uh, so what do you see as the primary uh, responsibility of leaders? Uh, I, I think um, a couple of things. I think first and foremost, it's, it's the focus on, on, on selection, uh, retention, and development of talent. Uh, I mean, it, it's really, I'm a bit biased, obviously, but it, it, it's, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's, uh, it's really about the people and the people that you surround yourself with. And the, you know, the, the, the leaders that I admire the most are the leaders that sort of really check their ego with the door and don't necessarily need to be the smartest guy in the room, don't necessarily have to have the idea be their idea that they're really, you know, sort of creating a very safe environment for people to openly speak their mind, kind of get your best input and ultimately make the best decision based on getting various inputs and various perspectives. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, you know, those are, those are important attributes. I think the other really key attribute that, that I, I think is critically important is um, a real sense of ownership that, that I mean, truly the buck stops with buck stops with the leader um, and a recognition that, you know, your role is to provide the tools and resources and support to have your people be and empower your people to be as successful as they can. Um, but at the end of the day, you, you own the results um, and, 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 you know, and recognizing that, that, that you really do own the results as, as a leader and, and you're accountable for, for those results. You know, if you go back to your executive search days, uh, I'm sure you came across you know, some hiring managers, you know, particularly on the C level, uh, who might have been intimidated by some of the, you know, uh, candidates that you were presenting. And I was wondering, it was, you know, is there a way to get around that? Or do you just realize that this is a B guy and he's looking for a C person? It's really the latter. I mean, there's, you can, you can, you can try to coach him, but if someone is really wired that way, if someone is really insecure, Mm -hmm. and not comfortable having people around them that have expertise that they don't have for fear of uh, whatever the fear may be, it's not much you can do about it. Yeah, that's a, and that's a shame uh, because you're really trying to you know, help the firm, help the firm grow, but you have this guy at the top 
yeah. who just is not willing to accept the you know, uh, talented people around him. And this is where uh, it's a term uh, called water rises to its own level. Is that the organization just won't perform and execute right. above the level of the competency or incompetency of the leader. So, all right. So what advice would you give to other leaders regarding uh, talent optimization and strategic execution? Well, as I said, you know, I, I think um, putting your ego aside, mm-hmm. <clears throat> I think hiring the best people possible for each role uh, is, 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 is absolutely critical. Right. Um, um, so, so, uh, you know, and a willingness, a willingness to learn with a humble attitude. Um, I, I think those are some of the, really some of the key attributes and then, you know, a recognition and admission that you don't have all the answers as a leader and that you, you really ought to create an environment where the best idea wins irrespective of where that idea came from. Right. Mm-hmm. So not having, not having all the answers and really seeking input and guidance from others in order to make the best decision. Um, and then a, you know, a, a continual focus on, on learning and, and growing uh, throughout, throughout your career. I'd say those are a couple of the key a- attributes. Yeah. Just, just be able to, uh, you know, maintain that curiosity. But so how, how do you see people, you know, who are really effective, manage that paradox between humility and confidence yeah it's you know there's a it's an there's an interesting balance right between strengths and weaknesses right so on one hand you need to be obviously you need to be confident but you can't you can't cross the line and and move into the cocky territory right Mm -hmm. you need to be a great leader but great leaders are also great followers right so so I found that, you know, you've got to be able to balance your strengths and, and, and find kind of find the equilibrium there and find, find the proper balance. Yeah. Well, I think you're just, you know, you're leading up to a point that I've, that I've found consistently is that people confuse confidence and humility is that, well, you, 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 you can't be both. You're either one or the other. And what I've learned, that's just not true is that, you know, humility, uh, people who aren't, humble are arrogant and people who are uh, who aren't confident uh you know hold some self-doubt about it uh and so you know it, it basically you know they're you know they're not on the same line of of the spectrum humility and, and confidence is that you can be humble and self-confident at the same time and actually you know that you know that humility of recognizing that yeah. you don't know everything uh, and that you can you know, continue to learn and, and, and surround yourself with the best people so you can learn from them uh, is, is actually a sign of, of confidence, is that, you, you, that you're able to continue to grow. That's right. Well, I think building on that, you know, not every decision a leader makes is a good decision, right? And mm-hmm. we make mistakes. And, you know, but being able to acknowledge and admit that you've made a mistake and own up to it, I, I think, frankly, Steve, it actually increases the respect that others have for that leader, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so therein lies part of the humility, and I think just you know, sort of checking your checking your ego at the door. Mm-hmm. What we do at Akoya, uh, which I think is a little maybe a little different, is we actually celebrate failures, right? So you know, some of my best learning in life have come from you know mistakes that I've made or failures that I've experienced, and. Lord knows we, you know, we, we still encounter those continually as you're learning, you know, you're, you're going to continue to make mistakes and you're going to, you're going to fail. 
and not not achieve all of your stated objectives. And we celebrate those failures, uh, you know, at, at Acoya. I mean, we'll 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 do a post mortem. We'll we'll really try to understand, you know, where the key learnings were. What, if anything, could we have improved on? And how do we get how do we get better as an organization and as a team? And it's done in a, again. It's done in a very safe, non judgmental uh, way. But but we are objectively critical of one another, and we push each other. And I think that's a I think that's a, a way to I think that's an important way to learn and continue to continue to grow. Yeah, that you know that kind of uh, peer pressure is really effective. But you know what you're really talking about is resilience, and it's really difficult to demonstrate resilience if you haven't admitted that you failed. <laughs> you know, and you know, I, I see that sometimes is that uh, they lack resilience skills, and so therefore they can't admit, or they won't admit that they failed because then they, you know, they have no other recourse. Right. So, yeah. right. so I think the other, uh, the other, yeah, one of the other keys, Steve, is 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 you know, is coping, you know, kind of the ability to cope with stress because Lord yeah. knows a lot of it's coming at leaders in every direction and. You know, if you think about some of the greatest athletes or, or uh, you know, you've heard the expression, you know, everything kind of slows down for the, for the great athlete. You know, I mean, some of the quarterbacks, I mean, everything, they have happy feet and they, you know, kind of panic under pressure. But the best of the best, everything kind of slows down and they're calm and cool and collected. And mm-hmm. so I think having the ability to sort of cope with uh, stress and deal with a uh, a high level of ambiguity, a tolerance for a high level of ambiguity, I think is an, another important attribute. Yeah, I think you're exactly right, Max, is that, you know, the, uh, the tolerance for ambiguity and the ability to slow things down under pressure. And, you know, I've, obviously I've seen this with uh, great athletes, but also uh, uh, special ops personnel, you know, in the Air Force, as well as fighter pilots is that it's, it's just counterintuitive to slow things down when you're in the midst of that kind of pressure. But, you know, the, the good news is that, you know, it's not something you're born with, is that we're, we're naturally inclined to freak out when things get a little hairy. Right? But, you know, people can learn this trait uh, and behave in this way over time. And, and the people that, you know, w- w- you know, that you've come in contact with, somehow they've learned it. You know, whether, you know, whether they, you know, picked the right parents or, you know, had a great teacher or a great coach somewhere along the way or just learned it through trial and error, recognizing, you know, their own role models. So, um, so you know, let me ask you about role models. Who, uh, who were your leadership role models and uh, what did you learn from them? Well, uh, I'd say first and foremost was my father. You know, I was really fortunate to have, um, again, it gets back to the element of luck. I just was lucky to have been born into that environment <laughs> and that family and with that particular father. Uh, so my dad was clearly an early mentor and role model of mine. Uh, I, I learned, uh, I learned uh, integrity. I, I, you know, his whole mantra building the entire business was, a, was really a kind of focus on the customer experience. And he was just, you know, relentless about ensuring that the customer was satisfied and the customer had a really positive experience. And in his business, uh, it was really interesting because, uh, as I said, I grew up in the business. So um, my earliest memories in life were working with my dad. But, we, you know, there, there would be customers that were second generation, in some cases, third generation buyers of, 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 our, of our product. So he, so, uh, you know, that, that was an important lesson. Uh, just a certain kind of tenacity and stick to um, uh, you know, a, a, uh, 
is just an, an unbelievable attribute. So I learned a lot of those core core values from my father. And then, as I've said, Steve, I've been incredibly fortunate to have been exposed to several incredibly successful individuals, and I've been able to you know really learn a lot from uh, from their from their shared experiences. So as you look at Akoya, you know we have currently about uh, I think six different operating partners or sector leaders, and these are literally franchise players in their industries. And these these are people who you know uh, achieve the highest level of success within their industries. And I'm fortunate enough to work with them day in and day out. And so by osmosis, some of that some of those positive attributes have rubbed off. Yeah. Well, it's uh, you know I, I I think you know role models can come into your life at certain times. And if people are just open, you know, to, to being aware of what other people can offer, uh, I think uh, more people would be, would benefit from more people, you know, and, and obviously you, you know, you have this trait. So let, let me, let me ask you, Max, how do you relax uh, or, and, or how do you celebrate? Yeah, I'm getting better at relaxing um, and <laughs> celebrating. We have no problem celebrating. So as I mentioned, we, we celebrate not only our successes, but we celebrate our failures. So that's an important part of what's been uh, kind of built into our culture is, and this is also a lesson I learned from my father. I mean, it's literally a stop and smell the roses kind of philosophy, right? So, um, you know, be in the moment, stay present and kind of enjoy those positive experiences and learn from the negative ones. Um, so that I have no problem celebrating. We do that quite well. Um, on the relaxation side, you know, I, I've been um, recently, in the last couple of years, been, been uh, you know, spending more time hiking, more time in nature. I just spent the entire summer in Park City, Utah, mm -hmm. you know, essentially hiking, hiking every day, mountain biking, fly yeah. fishing. Mm -hmm. um, it was amazing, right? So, you know, being in nature, I find incredibly nourishing for the soul and the mind. Mm -hmm. um, but I've been spending more time, you know, hiking. I've been spending more time uh, meditating. I'm getting into yoga. So mm -hmm. just um, um, th that's how I find my my relaxation and and spending, you know, fortunately spending much more quality time with my family now as I have uh, reached the point in my career where I can have a bit more quality and balance of life. Um, spending more time with my family, which is really quite fulfilling. Well, I got to tell you, Max, it's, uh, it's really heartening to hear you, know, you say all that because uh, one of the things that's coming out of this, uh, uh, you know, this, this COVID pandemic is uh, the need and importance of self-care. So uh, I'm, I'm sure all the listeners will, you know, will, will just benefit from you know, the, the way you take care of yourself. So um, how can people get a hold of you, Max? Uh, so my uh, my email address is mdezara, D-E-Z-A-R-A, at acoyacapital.com. And uh, if anybody would like to reach out, I'll you know, be happy to engage in a conversation, uh, providing perspective that would be helpful. Well, Max, it's been great to have you on The X Factor. Thanks so much for agreeing to uh, participate. Uh, and, um, and, and, and good luck with your, you know, with your unique model. Thank you, Steve. I really appreciate the opportunity to be here with you this morning. Uh, it's certainly our pleasure. Uh, so uh, that's it for today, everybody. Uh, we'll be back next time with another uh, episode of The X Factor for uh, the, uh, uh, the, uh, the podcast for Leaders by Leaders. I'm Dr. Stephen Law. Have a great day.